You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. say a, a wonderful phrase that I, I appreciate coming from um, the book of Ephesians, where Paul says, um, but God who is rich in mercy. Would you try that with me? But God who is rich in mercy. Let's, let's try it again. But God who is rich in mercy. One more time. But God who is rich in mercy. That implies three things. That there's a problem. We don't need mercy if there's no problem. There's a problem somehow. And it implies there's a solution. Mercy sounds like a solution to me. And, and I think it implies a response. It implies a response. So we're going to be looking from a text that will have some familiarity to it for many of you, at least if you grew up in Christian tradition. If not, boy, you're going to hear some really important words for the first time. Um, but we're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to start um, at the beginning of chapter 2 or through the 10th verse. Um, so listen to the word of God. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of the flesh, following the desires of the flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of work so that no one may boast. For we, are what he made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we um, just pray you'd send your Holy Spirit upon us. Now, these are such beautiful and wonderful words, but we are in need of help. There are things that get in the way of our listening. One, just open up our ears, eyes, and hearts. But you know our hearts, boy, they can, be, they can be tough, stubborn. I know mine can be. So we pray your spirit would just soften our hearts. And we pray that you would bring uh, your word to life in our lives. You'd speak deeply to us, you'd touch us, and you'd continue to work transformation in us. All for your glory. Amen. Amen. I think when we hear, and we were all by nature children of wrath, it, it, for some of us, me, I don't know which I've been learning, right? We all grew up in different traditions, so things like that have different hits for each person. I grew up in a tradition that wrath was not one of the key themes. It happened, but it wasn't our key theme, but I 
no brothers and sisters who grew up in tradition before wrath was the theme. It was just a big thing. And so when we hear we were by nature children of wrath, what does that mean? I had the opportunity to, to watch on, uh, online Amanda Jane Cooper. Amanda Jane Cooper, when she was 15, got to watch the debut year of Wicked on Broadway. 15-year-old just watching it, just like going, just amazed by it. It became her dream to be Glinda. It was her dream as a 15-year-old. One day she would love to be Glinda in Wicked. So if you don't know Wicked, it's a clever idea of being ahead of the Wizard of Oz. And there's the White Witch, which is Glinda, and then there's the Green Witch. And I'm blanking on her name, but we all know her as the Wicked Witch, but not that one. Okay. So, but she wants to be Glinda, and Glinda has this beautiful part. And if you've never seen Wicked, it could be because the tickets are freaking expensive, but, <laughs> but it is really worth it. It's quite, quite good. Um, so she went off to Carnegie Mellon's uh, drama uh, school, which is really renowned. And she got a bachelor's in fine arts. And honestly, not too long after she graduated, she was cast as Glinda in the National Touring Company. I, I know, right? Just an amazing thing. And it, it sounds like, what a life. And she said, well, actually, as, a, as an actor, it's really hard. Because throughout my four years in, in drama school, I was always wearing a leotard. And I was always being evaluated by how I look. And I hated how I looked. Hated how I looked. And so I began to starve myself. I just tried to get control on food. And then, then at night, some nights, I'd go out at 3 o'clock to a restaurant where no one would know me, and I'd just binge. I'd just eat. And then I'd try to make myself throw up. And she said, one time I worked so hard to make myself throw up, I, I burst a blood vessel in my eye. I just turned red. I just hated it. And so she, she did this tour, but she just wasn't a good place. She said, I shared my body with men, and sometimes I think it, it became dangerous, the situations I got in. And after that tour ended, she said she moved to LA and started getting parts. You may have seen her in various shows she's been in. Um, she started getting parts. and. She said, I became addicted to porn. She said, I couldn't go to sleep without watching porn. And then I began to shoplift. I kind of liked the idea of, of being seen but not being caught. And I hated my life. She said, one night I went to a rap party. Now that's not R-A-P. I mean, we can all guess that I don't rap. But it's a W-R-A-P. <laughs> it's a rap party wrapping up some sort of production. And she's sitting there and she's talking with people. And she sits with this one woman, she said, I just felt so safe, I just began to share my life. How much I hated it, the things I was doing. And, and she said, uh, this woman, Alice Isaac, you, you won't know her, it's just that she names her. Just listened to me, and just loved me, and accepted me, and became a friend of mine, and became a mentor of mine, and introduced me to Jesus. And, and I grew up kind of hearing stuff about Jesus, but introduced me to Jesus, and I gave my life to the Lord. And it, it changed me, she said. It just changed the way I viewed myself. And, and my eating problems didn't go away instantly, but I was able to start keeping them from being secret to, to doing something about them. I met with a counselor and started engaging it, and I decided to save my body um, and just kind of hold off on that. She actually just celebrated a her COVID wedding, she just did a COVID wedding. Um, a few years after that, she was cast again for the second national tour of Wicked. And it was a, she said, you know, I went through the same, same cities, same dressing rooms, had some of the same dressers, 
But it was just a totally different experience for me because of where I was at. And about two years after that, she was cast for the Broadway production of Wicked. I mean, just amazing thing that happened in her life. I would look at her and call her a child of wrath. Not that God is visiting something upon her, but once you start in some ways, all of a sudden you're just in this thing that feels like wrath, but you can't escape it. I, I, notice what, what Paul does not say. He does not say, but God who is rich in wrath. Paul is identifying a problem for all of us. Look, I was a Christian probably when I was four or five. I don't know exactly when. My best sinning has been done as a Christian, not as a before four-year-old. Um, right? And as a Christian, I've done some really stupid, sinful things that Jesus died for. Christianity hasn't made me perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But there are times I've chosen wrath. Again, I don't feel like God is trying to hit me. I've just chosen things that have caught me and have, and have done me wrong. And somehow I'm participating. I, I have friends who are addicts, and they just they get caught up in this thing, and, and they don't like it, but it's just this thing that they can't get out of. We were, by nature, children of wrath. There's a problem for all of us, a problem we can't solve. We, we are in constant need of a solution outside of us. It doesn't change when we become Christians. Anyone who thinks Christians have got all their crap together, well, we all know that's not true. You can just ask my children or my wife. We don't have our crap together. Um, but we have a direction and we have a solution and we know that solution's outside of us. So Paul goes on to say, but God who is rich in nature with the great love with which he has loved us. Ah. The great love with which he has loved us. She said, I realized in Jesus that I was loved, I was seen, I was forgiven, I was special. God sees you. God loves you. You are precious to God. This is how much he loves you. Since we can't solve it, God would be fine to just let us on our own, but that's not the nature of who God is. Jesus even tells this story, and some of you have heard this story. It's about this young guy who's got an older brother, and he's got a rich dad, and he says to his rich dad, hey, look, I know my brother's going to get twice what I'm going to get, but could I have my bit now? And the dad, for some reason, gives him his bit now. And the son goes off to another land and just spends his stuff on wine and women and ruins his life. And he comes to a point where his life is ruined. And he realizes, and he goes, what, what am I doing? I'm going to go back home. At least, at least if I work with my dad, I can, be a, I can be a servant now. I don't have to be a son. I can be a servant. At least I would get good meals. So as he's, as he's coming home, his dad sees him. His dad goes running after him, grabs him, hugs him. And then when he gets home, he says, put a ring on him. Clothe him with the best robe. My son is back. Here's what God has done in Jesus Christ. He has put a ring on it. He's put a ring on you. And he's clothed you with his best robe. And he calls you son and daughter. And he has done this through Jesus. Because you are precious to him. I don't know what you hate about your life right now. I don't know what mess you're in. I don't know what your problem is, and you could be a Christian a long time like me and still be in a mess. 
And there's one to cry out to. Because he's put a ring on you. And he's put his best robe on you. And he calls you son. And he calls you daughter. Because this is how much God loves you. Because he is a God who is what? Rich in mercy. And his mercies never fail. Jesus is the solution to the problem. And he's an ongoing solution to the problems that will continue to arise. Because you will continue to age. Trust me, I know. You will continue to age. And as age comes, life changes. And new challenges come your way. And you will continue to need a savior and a solution. That won't change. There is no mastery here. Paul's wonderfully clear. He tells us that by grace we have been saved. What are we saved from? Well, we're saved from sin. Certainly. We're saved from really stupid, idiotic, moronic things we did or didn't do. Things we said or should have said. Saves us from that. And he saves us from ourselves. I am my biggest problem. That's not always true for all people. But I am my biggest problem. The biggest problem in my marriage is me. The biggest problem for my children is their father at times. Not always. But at times, certainly. For grace, you've been saved. This is not your own doing. My dad... This is for my dad. My dad, um, my dad was a master at this. My dad was excellent at chess. Some of you are learning about chess for the first time, watching Queen's Gambit. Some of you are jumping in, all that sort of stuff. And, and there are, there's a nomenclature for these pieces. I'm not sure I'd call this a white piece, but it's just called that in chess. It's called a white piece. And this is called a black piece. They're not always black. Sometimes they're brown. And, and my dad taught me chess. Let me tell you about the gospel. The gospel is you always play with black piece. The gospel is that God always plays with the white piece. Why? Because the white piece always makes the first move. You can never say to God first, I love you. You are never the first sayer in a conversation with God, I love you. Because God has spoken a word to you through Jesus Christ while you were caught up in your trespasses and sins, and me too. God has said to you, I love you. He has said it verbally, and he has said it through the life and death of the Son, Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, who comes willingly, happily to die for you and to be risen for you. So you spend a life in response saying, Oh, and I love you. And I love you too. I love you also. And if you ever forget that you play with the, white, the black piece, you have forgotten the important bit of the gospel. God has always moved and always moves first. And you spend a life in response. 
God who is rich in mercy implies three things. It implies a problem. And I don't think I have to convince any of you that we're a problem and that there is a problem. And the problem is bigger than each of us as individuals. We, we sin per, see sin permeating through our society in all sorts of ways. There's a problem. And there's a solution. And the solution is a person. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Fully God, fully human. And the God who is rich in mercy implies a response. It implies something we do in response to the nature of something so great. My uh, wife was run over by a motorboat when she graduated from high school. Propellers ripped into her legs and broke her bones um, about four or five legs. It's a miracle she lives. It's a miracle she has legs. It's a miracle that she can walk. She's got about two miles in her a day, and that's, that's it. The day is over for her in terms of walking. Um, Two guys, uh, Bernie Borgman, and Bob Volz, both doctors. Um, Bernie Boardman kept her from going into shock. She was in nowhere, Colorado. She was in Lamar, Colorado. I spent a week there one day. Um, it, is, it, it is just this nowhere place. There are no great hospitals there. They had the air evac her to Denver. Imagine the doctoral work that had to be done to keep her awake, alive promise. And then she ended up with a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon, Bob Holtz. She has legs. She walks. Amazing the work both of these men do. My father-in-law My father-in-law never allowed them to buy a drink, to buy a meal, whatever he could do for them. He was great. That's pure logic. Right? That's just pure logic. Well, it'd be easy to say there's just there's a problem. It's us. Each of us as individuals, the society at large. Easy to talk about the fact that there's a solution, Jesus. But if we stop there, we've missed what my father-in-law saw. There's an appropriate response. For by grace you've been saved. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not because of works that no one gets to boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works. The Reformation was a concern that people thought they could earn their way to heaven, and we dispensed with that. 
And so we always want to be concerned with the idea that I could live a good enough life and somehow play with the white piece and be the head of God. And that's an impossibility. But it's foolishness for us not to understand that there is an implied solution, which is a life lived in gratitude, a life lived in love, a life that is about good works by its nature. Um, so there's a, a guy named, um, I want to say Thomas More, I'm sure I'm wrong by it. He comes to Jesus Christ, and the Lord tells him he needs to go to the police because three years before his conversion, he had strangled a woman and killed her and had never been caught. And Jesus told him he had to go turn himself in. And the, the policeman at the time said, we wish Jesus would solve more cases. <laughs> but as a man who understands there's an important work that needs to be done, there's an implied solution to the fact that God is rich in mercy. Watchman Nee tells the story of, of this uh, Chinese farmer who every morning would get up on like kind of a bicycle pump and pump water through his rice field. And once it was filled, his communist neighbor would go and pick up all the boards between his neighbor's land and his land, and all that water would fly into this guy's land, and he'd put all his words back. And, and the guy said to him, the, this Chinese farmer who was a Christian, said, pardon me, said to the Lord, you know, this continues. I'm not gonna have any rice and I'm not gonna have any land. What, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him. So he got up early. And in the morning, he would pump water and fill up his neighbor's fields, and then he'd put all the boards in. And then he'd pump water, and he'd fill up the fields that he was in. And he did this every day. And his communist neighbor became a Christian. Jesus said, let your light shine before all people, so that people will see your good works, Jesus said, and give glory to God. You and I are called to a new life. We'll screw up. Now here's a just a delightful story. Two Saturdays ago, my wife asked me to do something. I'm just snappy with her. And she goes, I don't want to be talked to that way. By the way, totally fine. I agree with her. <laughs> and, um, so I, I, I wasn't able to say it at the time, but I did come back. But here's the irony. I was going to my men's Christian group to pray with them. And I'm snappy to my wife. I, I go immediately after that meeting and say, thank you so much for telling me that. I'm so grateful that you told me I was rude to you. You are absolutely right. I do not want to talk to you that way. Because God is freeing me from myself. Freeing me from the way that I can be a child of wrath. And he's broken a power that instead of me being a prideful jerk, I can just receive terrible news about myself that's true and apologize. And hopefully become a nicer husband. I was amazed by this story. Tim Winton, I've never heard of him, but he's Australia's most celebrated novelist. Dozen best-selling books, several literary prizes. Just highly thought of in Australia. It's being interviewed, and at one point someone said, hey, when you were about five, a stranger came into your family and it affected your family quite profoundly. Is that right? And he said, yeah. He then talked about his father, who um, was a policeman, and was in a terrible accident in the mid-1960s. He was knocked off his motorcycle by a drunk driver. He said for weeks in a coma, he was allowed home. Uh, Winton said, my father was like an earlier version of my father, a sort of augmented version of my father. He was sort of recognizable, but not totally my dad. Everything was busted up, and they put him in a chair, and I was terrified. 
And Winton's dad was a big guy, and Mrs. Winton had trouble bathing him every day. There was nothing, obviously, that Tim, this novelist, could do because he's only five years old at the time. And news of the family situation got out in the local community, and afterwards, Winton recalls his mother getting a knock at the door. Ah, oh, good day. That's as far as I'll do in Australia. That's it. <laughs> My name's Len. I heard your hubby's not well, anything I can do. Len Thomas was from a local church, Winton explained, and the man had heard about the family's difficulties and wanted to help. He just showed up. And he used to carry my dad from bed and put him in a bath and bathe him, which in the 1960s in Perth in the suburbs was not the same the thing you'd see every day. And according to Winton, this simple act, this simple Christian who continually did this, touched him and drew him to Christ. God has made you, made you, made you, made you, and me, has created us for good works so that they would shine before people and people would give glory to God. And there are things that each of us needs to do as persons. And it's quite an adventure and sometimes it's hard. I can't imagine for this guy, Len, to go every day to pick this guy up and put him in a bathtub was how he'd want to spend an hour every day. But wow, right? Wow. And then there are things we need to do as a community of God's people. And Paul is clear, he says it several times in, in other places. I love what he says in Galatians. He says it in two places in Galatians. He says in 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. And just further on, the next, next bit he says, so whenever possible, if we have an opportunity let us work for the good of all, and especially for those in the family of faith. That's just incumbent upon us as people who are beloved by Jesus. It's what we do as people. We try to figure out, how can I love you? What does that look like? And the Lord, what, what is it you want to do to participate in that way? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. What, what might that look like? Many Christians, I feel, could wear a t-shirt that says, went to camp, prayed the prayer, got the t-shirt. And that's where it stopped. And the thing is, you see, camp and the praying the prayer is awesome, totally for it. That's the beginning of the adventure. That's where it starts. Now it's a life of living in him. There's a producer in 60 Minutes who gave up his faith in Jesus and gave up evangelicalism that he grew up in. It's like, he's done. For some reason, he decided to kind of take a look at it, and Katrina happened. And as he was just kind of watching what happened to Katrina, he found a Baptist church in Baton Rouge that fed 16,000 people a day for weeks. Another that housed 700 homeless evacuees. Years after the hurricane, long after federal assistance had dried up, a network of churches surrounding states were still sending regular teams rebuilt houses. And Mark said what impressed me was the way the church crossed racial lines and barriers in the deep south. We have whites, blacks, Hispanics, Vietnamese, good old Cajun. We just tried to say, hey, let's help people. This is our state, said one guy. We'll just let everyone else sort out that stuff. We just got to cook some rice. And Mark said, you know, this is a watershed moment in the history of American Christianity. Because Christians realized that the way to conquer America was through service not through power. 
what might God be calling you to today? How might you live into this reality that God is rich in mercy and you have a problem? How might you offer that problem to Jesus today like, I do have some problems? And maybe there's some brothers and sisters you could offer those problems to as well who would love you like, like she, she was loved, the man Jane was loved. There's a solution. The Son of God became incarnate, became a human being because he loves you. Man, he's so rich in mercy. This great love with which he loves you is crazy about you. How might you respond to that? How might you remember, how might you remember that you play with this piece and not this piece? And how might you respond to his moves in your life? And then you as a community, people of God, how might you all respond? You've chosen to inhabit space here in some way to, to be a friend and a resource to the Hope Women's Center. That's great. That's part of doing the gospel. It's part of being about the good works that you are created for. How else? I won't know that. You'll figure that out. Say it with me one more time. I'll say it and you say it. But God who is rich in mercy. But God who is rich in mercy. I hope that echoes. Just hope that echoes in your heart, in your brain all week. Hope that sticks with you and you can't get rid of it. Because that's who God is. Would you pray with me?